Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. This is Brad Lambert from Team Finland. I'm Oscar Olesen from Team Sweden. Hey, this is Dylan Grand. Hi, I'm Lane Hudson from the U.S. National Team. Dion Mishak. Fabian Lucell. Cole Perfetti. Hey, it's Jake Sampson. I play for Team USA. Major Junior. Hey, this is Matthew Kachuk of the London Knights. I'm Jonathan Yerudo from the St. John's Sea Dogs. Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. Hey, it's Alex Dabrinkit from the Erie Otters. Gerald Dubois from the Cape Breton Screen Eagles. It's Zachary LaRue from the Halifax Mooseheads. This is John Gunther of the Emerson Oil Kings. NCAA. Hey, this is Noah Hannafin from Boston College. Hey, it's Troy Terry from the Denver Pioneers. Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. This is Brock Faber from the University of Minnesota. It's Dylan Hollis from the Wisconsin Badgers. The NHL Draft. U.S. Lovkovsky from TPS. Hey, this is Kevin Krasinski of the Seattle Thunderbirds. Hey, guys, it's Cutter Goche from the U.S. National Team. Hi, it's Matt Savoy with the Winnipeg Ice. Hey, this is Sarah Manzel from Shaska High School. Nessa Goche, I play for the Quebec Ramparts. This is Ty Nelson from the North Bay Battalion. Hey, it's Dylan James from the Sioux City Musketeers. This is Rieger Lorenz from the Okotoks Oilers. And more. And welcome to the Pipeline Show. And this is the Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Good weekend, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. That's Alberta's best beef jerky. Three locations in the Edmonton area to pick up your uh, beef jerky from. Leduc, Spruce Grove, and the kiosk in West Edmonton Mall. But of course, if you're in Western Canada, you don't have to make that drive in. You can just go over to their website, wilhockbeefjerky.com. Place your order online. It comes to you. Vacuum sealed, fresh on delivery, and absolutely delicious. Any order, any size, anywhere in Western Canada, go to wilhockbeefjerky.com. A big, loaded, overstuffed show for you today, so this opening segment going to be very brief. Just uh, going to quickly touch on a couple of uh, news and notes items in the WHL and in the queue especially. Uh, some uh, trades that have already happened uh, since uh, the calendar flipped to June, the Memorial Cup. Wrapped up about, uh, what, about 10 days ago? Not quite. Last weekend. Feels like it was 10 days ago. But the Quebec Remparts, uh, congratulations to uh, Patrick Waugh and uh, his team. I think most people, including myself, were expecting the Seattle Thunderbirds to come away with the championship. But uh, full marks to Quebec. Beating Seattle twice during the course of the tournament. And a 5 nothing victory in the championship game. They deserved it. They were the best team in Kamloops. But since then, some trade activity across the CHL. Nothing really significant in the Ontario Hockey League, uh, but some big moves in the queue, especially with the uh, Quebec Ramparts, as they made two separate deals with the Rowan Naranda Huskies, trading defenseman Jeremy Langlois and goaltender William Russo, who was outstanding in Kamloops at the Memorial Cup. Uh, They both go to the Huskies for a total of one first, two seconds, and a fourth-round pick. Quebec also trading uh, Charles Truchon to Romuski for a couple of picks and a player. And then they uh, made a, a hockey trade with Gatineau. Samuel Lachance for Antoine Michaud. In the WHL, since June, just two trades. Justin Lees goes from the Saskatoon Blades to the Victoria Royals. But the day before that, there were a couple of trades too. Uh, Saskatoon also trading Connor Roulette to Spokane. So those are two 20-year-olds uh, that Saskatoon moved out. Roulette drafted by the Dallas Stars, but not signed. So his rights actually go back into the NHL draft this year in uh, three weeks' time. Will someone draft Roulette? Not sure. Didn't have a uh, 
the season probably he or anyone else thought that he would, but he's going to be poised for a big 20-year-old season. So not sure he'll get drafted, but there'll be teams watching him and to potentially sign him as a 20-year-old free agent after this coming season if he doesn't get drafted. Uh, more recently, the Seattle Thunderbirds sending uh, TJ Iginla to the Kelowna Rockets for Grady Lenton, who was a rookie this past season, uh, as well as a first and second round pick. So the first of probably a few moves we're expecting to see Seattle do. Kelowna also picking up uh, the rights to Hiroki Gosic from Victoria for a second and fifth round pick. And Tyson LaVenture, a overage player or a 20-year-old player, goes to Swift Current for a fourth rounder. Those right at the end of May, those uh, last two trades. But now there is no hockey to be played unless you're uh, playing professionally in the American Hockey League or the NHL final. The next big thing on the calendar is the NHL draft, and uh, that is uh, kind of what we're shifting gears towards now. I have five guests for you today, and uh, of course all my guests join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. Based out of Red Deer, Troubled Monk creating delicious craft beverages. They're beverages worth sharing. Go to troubledmonk.com slash shop, see what they have to offer right now, as it changes frequently. And if you're in Alberta, go to your local liquor store. And if they don't have it in stock already, you can ask for them to bring it in for you. Okay, the guests today and the order that we're going to do it. First, we're going to speak with Lucas Pancari from the Brandon Sun. The conversation I actually had with him all a while ago. This That's probably a conversation I had 10 days ago as we were wrapping up the Centennial Cup. Uh, but then there wasn't a show last week, so it would have been part of last week's show. Uh, but not dated because it's the Centennial Cup. It was already over at that point. It's a recap of the uh, 10 teams and the way they performed at the National Junior A Championship that was held in Portage La Prairie, Manitoba. From that conversation, we'll uh, wrap up the USHL and the North American Hockey League uh, seasons and the playoffs. Jordan McAlpine is back. He's a beat writer with the Rink Live, and we'll pick his brain about uh, the way those two leagues close things out this year. We'll have a 2023 draft spotlight segment. Might be the last one before the draft. A player who went unselected last year, but then had a, a terrific year for the Saskatoon Blades. Import forward sniper Igor Sidorov. Get to know him today. And then we begin with the uh, scout previews for the upcoming NHL draft. Something we're going to end this week's show with in a couple of segments. And then to concentrate on heavily for the next two weeks. Getting some independent scouts to come on. Giving them a category, and the assignment basically is give me six guys that fall under this category for you. Six the six first names that come to your mind when I mention blank. And the scouts go to town on that. Uh, today we're going to start with Chris Peters from Flow Hockey. His category are boom-bust players. Guys who have a ton of upside, but there's a little bit of risk involved in making the selection. And after that, uh, we will close out this week's show with Mitch Brown from Elite Prospects. His category, offensive defensemen. Who are the six players you think of first when you're looking at the 2023 NHL draft for boom-bust players or offensive defensemen? So an absolutely loaded show. Let's get right to it. Coming up next, Lucas Puncari from the Brandon Sun looking back at the Centennial Cup. You're listening to The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Hi, this is Drew Doughty of the Guelph Storm. Storm on the power play here. Teed up by Doughty, scores! Hat-trick goal for Drew Doughty, 4-0 Guelph Storm. 
You're listening to The Pipeline Show. Since 1965, Wilhawk Beef Jerky has provided fresh, top-quality beef jerky made with 100% Alberta beef. From your very first bite, you'll understand that real jerky isn't found at the convenience store. It's tender, full of flavor, with just a hint of subtle spices. Wilhawk's jerky is aged, seasoned, and marinated to lock in the flavors, and then smoked to perfection. Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It might just be the best you've ever tasted. Try for yourself. Search W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Oh, my. We're back on The Pipeline Show, and we're going to begin this week's episode looking back at the Centennial Cup, which wrapped up, uh, well, about uh, 10 days ago or so. Uh, of course, The uh, Pipeline Show is brought to you by Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky, and you can get it anywhere in Western Canada by going to their website and ordering it at wilhawkbeefjerky.com. Any order, any size, anywhere, they will ship it to you in Western Canada. All right, my next guest was at the uh, Centennial Cup for a large chunk of it, including all the important stuff in the uh, in the playoffs. And that is uh, Lucas Pancare from the Brandon Sun. Uh, Lucas, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you? Well, yeah, I'm doing pretty good here. In case anybody hears in the background, a thunderstorm just started here in Brandon. So if you're wondering what that banging sound might be as I'm talking, that's what's going on. All right. So you've uh, you scheduled some ambient uh, audio for us in the background. That's awesome. Exactly. We'll see how that comes out in post. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, now that we uh, know what's happened at the Centennial Cup, the Brooks Bandits are the uh, Centennial Cup winners this year. So national champions uh, for the Bandits. Uh, when you look back at that tournament, is that a surprise at all? No, I don't think so. I think coming in, everybody expected the Bandits to be the team to beat, and they certainly were uh, from start to finish. Uh, the thing that stood out to me this year with the Bandits, obviously last year they had a really high-end team, that top-end that top end guys that they had in the team, uh, Ryan McAllister, TJ Hughes, Devin Phillips up front, and Zach Bookman. Mm-hmm. Uh, three of those on defense, three of those guys with 100 points. Phillips is pretty close to it. So you had those big guys there. But the depth on this year's team was pretty darn good. And their overall team speed, especially seeing that in person, really impressed me. When I saw them, if I got to see them in the semifinals against Ottawa, just the way the schedule was and I was there, I was the first time I got to see them. And after like a couple of shifts, I'm like, okay, this is a totally different animal from every team I've seen so far this week. So it was going to be pretty tough to try and uh, beat them over the course of 60 minutes when you got so many guys that can beat you in so many different ways. Aiden Fink led the tournament in scoring with 13 points. Uh, Hudson Malinowski, his teammate, had 10 uh, and uh, Ethan Barrock was the top goaltender. So when you, yeah, it's it's kind of an indication of uh, how dominant is that a good word to, to use? Dominant uh, the Brooks Bandits were at the Centennial Cup. Yeah, dominant and just like you said, the depth there. You mentioned some of those guys already. Fink and Malinowski, Malinowski's right in the final. Barwick kind of underrated at times because Brooks has so many guys. You know, maybe don't think about Ethan Barrock, but he was really good in the semifinal against All Rogers. That was a scoreless game until the third period and then they got a goal and uh, then started to kind of pull away a couple of empty netters. Dario Bello, who missed most of the, missed the final, most of the tournament had the winner in that game. So he stepped up and the bar was pretty good early on in the, in the final when Balford was starting to press in the second period, he made a couple of really good saves on their big snipers. And then Brooks exploded for three goals. He did what he had to do there. Uh, you mentioned besides the guys you mentioned, the other guys stood out to me, Hunter Wallace, who's from nearby here in Brandon, in, uh, Oak Lake. Uh, area guy there so he was 
he was cutting off a major injury earlier this season. He was impressive. Um, actually, if you watch the game, you notice he has a black guy in his face. It's because he took a boot. Uh, one of the opposing skaters on Ottawa's uh, front part of the boot of the skate hit Hunter in a scramble in front, so it ended up swelling overnight. Mm. So it looks like he had a shiner. We got it open and ended up scoring the opening goal of the game. Had an assist on one of Hudson Malinowski's goals. So obviously a big game for him. And uh, another guy who really impressed me was uh, Aiden Celebrini. Uh, who's Macklin's older brother. Uh, if you know Macklin Celebrini, obviously, for next year's draft, I've got to keep an eye on But Aiden really impressed me just how he was playing on the back end. And I think a guy that's worth keeping an eye on here for next year or so just to see how he develops going forward. He is ranked, so maybe he gets drafted this year, uh, 140th, I think, by Central Sky. But he was a guy that I was like, huh. Obviously, you maybe don't think of him as one of the top guys on Brooks, but just really impressed with his game over the course of the weekend. Over the course of the season, uh, if if Brooks wasn't ranked number one, then most of the time it was Battleford, and it was the North Stars and the Bandits in the uh, in the Centennial Cup final. Uh, what do you make of the of the North Stars? Uh, with Battleford, um, it was it was interesting to see that team just because it was a little bit different, obviously, from the teams that I got to cover when I worked there back in 2016 to 2018 the team that won in 2017 went perfect to the playoffs uh 12 and 0 with something that no one had done since the old Prince Albert Raiders teams back in the 80s so my standards with that like okay let's see how good this team is here at Balfour's now this one was pretty darn good I don't think they're on the level of Brooks not many are but they have a pretty strong team and just how they're able to attack offensively especially down the wing to the semifinals against Porters that game was pretty much over in the first period. And we have guys like uh, Holden Doles up front. He's committed to Ferris State. Uh, Captain Jake Southgate, assistant Stephen Kesseling. Uh, also guys that are going to college out Southgate, going to Lindenwood. Uh, Kesseling's going to Niagara. And then Kean Bell, who came over um, from the queue last year, uh, is playing now in Battleford. He was really impressive. But one of the guys that I was impressed by was their goaltender, Josh Kotai, um, who I thought was pretty darn good in the game against Ford, even though it got out of hand. He was pretty solid against Brooks before things kind of went parachute. So, yeah, a pretty solid team. Um, it would have been interesting, I think, how, the way the bracket worked out, how they matched up against Collingwood again or Ottawa, just to see how those teams would have matched up with them. But when you pretty much dominate Portage uh, in the semifinal, it was pretty much over after the first 20 minutes. You have to take your caps to them. And I think it's you know, it's a big thing for Balfords, too, to get to a national stage like that, play on TSN and that. They hadn't been to the tournament since 2000. Uh, and that year they lost in the semis and ended up winning the old Bronzeville game in double overtime. So for that program, that says a lot. And I think, you know, the SJ as a whole, they got to be pretty happy. Just, you know, getting back on a national stage like that in a big way, having a team in the final, all that kind of thing. Even though the final didn't go how it goes or how they want it to go, I should say, uh, it should be good for the league and Balfords going forward. Lucas, how did they uh, set up the the who would play in Group A and who would play in Group B? Because I'm a little surprised that the host team out of Manitoba and Steinbeck, the MJHL champs, were in the same group. Yeah, I was a little confused about that as well. I didn't get a full answer as to why, but I, I'm st- I think it certainly did help with sales for that Friday night game, playing Forge and Steinbeck first. Uh, the thing, I don't think they would have known, obviously, who would have come out of the MJ at that point uh, if it was when you're setting up the bracket, but with it being Steinbeck as their team that's close to Porters, most of the teams, unless it was like Dauphin or OCN, would have been close by. So, I, I mean, you look at the groups itself, I mean, it ended up being kind of top-heavy. Like, you look at Brooks's group when they had, um, with the way it was, with Ottawa and Terrebonne and Yarmouth uh, in there, uh, along with Timmons. They were obviously going to be clear-cut number one, but you look at the other group, you could make a case 
for Steinbeck, Collingwood, Portage, or Balfour to win that group. So it'll be interesting to see how they set that up next year going forward with the 10 teams again in Oakville. Are you going to have two OJ teams in the same group? Are you going to try and split it up a little bit more so maybe it's not as top-heavy? It'll be interesting. I'm, I'm sure they'll tweak it going forward so you don't have one situation where, like it was this year where both teams were in the same group, which is good because having that, we're going to see that obviously with Memorial Cup because we having Caleb's in Seattle in the same group. That's always going to be a fun night uh, when that game takes place after we record this. But um, it'll be interesting to see this kind of maybe spread it out a little bit next year, knowing that, okay, we're going to have two Ontario junior teams there, but maybe spread out because we have big crowds every night. The host team finished uh, higher and better than the MJHL champ. Was that a surprise uh, that Portage ended up in, in group B with nine points tied for first place and Steinbeck uh, went one Oh two and one. Uh, in the uh, the round robin portion of of their group, was that a surprise? Um, I don't think so. Just because Portage ended up being ahead of Steinbach in the regular season standings, uh, they were upset in the semifinals by Verdon. Uh, that game, that series went seven, uh, and then double overtime. A great series, but that Portage team had gone through the ringer with injuries and sickness going through the group. A bunch of guys had mono and whatnot during that semifinal, so they took a hit. And you kind of saw through most of the tournament, the Portage team that was one of the best, if not the best, in the MG during the course of the season, just of how they were able to attack uh, teams with, on offensively. And Billy Monteith was excellent in goal uh, for Porters during the course of the week. You can make a case that he may have been the top goaltender there, even though the semis didn't go how they wanted. Um, with Steinbeck, I don't, they, they were a pretty solid team. Um, I, I, I don't know if they had a true game-breaker, though, like some of the other teams do. Obviously, it's some good players. Travis Hendricks going to Northern Michigan. Ty Paisley, a local kid, was playoff MVP. Um, but there's, they started pretty slow in the game against Portage, and it felt like they were kind of trying to play catch-up after that. They had lost the night before to Collingwood and just didn't end up working out for them in the end. I, I, they may have ran out of gas a little bit, too, because they had some pretty tough playoff series uh, with – Winkler in the first time went seven games, and then they had a good battle of Swan Valley that went six games before losing in the end to or winning over the final in five or Verdon, I should say, uh, to get to the point. So, yeah, I think Porter's is probably the better side than Steinbeck. And had they been healthy in the semis against Verdon, they may have won the league championship this year, but there wasn't that much separating them, I don't think, in the end. But just the way that week went, Steinbeck wasn't quite as hot as they had been in Porter's, was back to where they were. When you uh, looked at the uh, teams from further east of uh, of Kenora, Ontario. Uh, it's pretty tough to get a read on those guys during the regular season unless you're able to watch them in person or at least online. Uh, what impressed you about the, the other clubs uh, from uh, central and eastern Canada? Um, Yarmouth was a pretty solid team from top to bottom. They didn't have a high-end skill guy, but they were going to work hard every time they got out there. They actually played both goalies during the Coast Week, Joey Luvello and Keegan Warren. So I got to see both of those guys. They were pretty good. Um, Alex Rue was a pretty solid veteran player up front. Nathan Kelly, uh, who's from Newfoundland, was really good, especially in the quarterfinal game. He had a couple of chances that could have won the game against uh, Portage. Uh, so he's going to be actually heading to U Sports next year with Windsor, so they were pretty good. Uh, Terrible only saw them once, but they were pretty solid. They had some good guys there. Uh, if you remember last year's Memorial Cup, Nick Herdebees, the starter for St. John, was their starting goalie, so that was pretty cool mm. to see him on that stage. Ottawa. I mentioned this earlier, was really good against Brooks. That If they had had cash in a couple of chances early, they may have actually been a national championship game just of how they were able to hold off Brooks, a pretty solid game. Massimo Gentili is one of their forwards 
who impressed me during the course week. He can come back next year. And Rourke Appleby, who I believe can also return in goal, uh, were probably the two standout players there. Collingwood was solid. Uh, only saw them the once, but Noah Pack was as good as I thought he was going to be coming off a really strong playoffs in goal for them. And he had a couple of different guys to sit out in the game. Carter Deisman, awesome name, uh, was excellent uh, in that quarterfinal game while defense with Robert Strachan. Timmons was a fun team to watch because they're kind of run and gun. Uh, guys like uh, a few different guys in that game were actually pretty exciting to watch, but Nicholas Pigeon up front, Kyle Trache, uh, defenseman was pretty good. Patrick Boyman, the game I saw them against, um, I guess it was Jarmuth in the first uh, weekend of the game, was he was ridiculous. Uh, so he was there. I didn't get, or see, so he was something to watch, I should say, there. And I didn't get to see Cam River just the way the schedule was, but. Other than the one game against Portage where it got really out of hand, I don't think they were completely out of place. Obviously, they haven't been winning games without a good week for the SI in that sense. But I think if they had been the other group, they may have stuck to win off a team like a Timmons or a Yarmouth. Uh, so just unfortunate for them that it, they didn't end up um, getting into a spot where they could have, you know, got a win and built some confidence that way. But a team like Cam River, I think though, if, if a lot of those guys can come back um, – and whatever they have for roster next year, I think they'll be in the mix at some point. So, you know, maybe put off an upset or two at the tournament. Lucas Pancari from the Brandon Sun is my guest. I recap in the Centennial Cup. Uh, now, this uh, new format, I guess I'm trying to remember how, when they actually went to this particular format with a host and uh, the other nine uh, champs from the league. I like it, though. I like having two groups. It, it kind of makes it like a, uh, like a World Junior tournament because you do it over the span of 10 days. It's basically the same format. Uh, it, it seems to fit really well, uh, in my opinion. What about you? Mm-hmm. Uh, this would be year two, because it was implemented last year in Estevan, and having covered that from a distance a year ago with Dauphin, uh, who I covered here for the Brandon Sun there, I was kind of curious to see how it would be like in person. I think if you're a junior hockey fan, definitely go out of your way to go see some of the Centennial Cup games if it's near you, because you get three games a day pretty much all the way through, right. and then two come playoff time. So you're getting your bang for your buck there. And you get all the champs, and you get a pretty darn good team there for MJ uh, this year. And last year, you saw in the SJ, you had the two finalists with Flynn Fawn and Esteban. So that's really pretty good. Uh, we do know that it's coming back for the next two years for sure, with Oakville hosting next year and then Okotoks in two years' time. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how it goes going forward. Again, like I said, I'd like to see you, – you, it's hard to do – because you don't know what teams are going to be there until beforehand. But if you can find a way to maybe keep those S- those two league teams in next year's case, the OJ separate, if you can, I think that'll be good going forward. But yeah, no, I like the I, I like the format. Obviously, you're going to have some teams that may be a little bit. I don't want to say out of place, but it might be a, the stage a little bit too bright for them sometimes, kind of deal, or they kind of get shocked and awed by the whole, the whole deal. But that helps you get better, right? It helps you knowing what to expect in the stage, and I think that helps going forward for some of those leagues now that they know, okay, if we win the league, we can go to the Nationals as opposed to going to one of those higher-end leagues that usually end up there. Uh, so in the case of team leagues like the SIJHL and the NOJHL, maybe you keep some of those younger guys that maybe would have gone elsewhere that were in your district. You know what that kind of reminds me of is like uh, a different sport, but with curling where you have the Briar or the Scotties, and it's like UConn has to go up against Manitoba or Alberta it's it's often, I mean, when's the last time has it ever happened where a territory has won uh, the National Curling Championship for men's or women's? I don't I don't know, has it? It has not. Now, there's been close. Back in the 70s in the old round robin format, territories actually got in the top three, and then Jamie Cooey got into the playoffs about a decade ago now. So 
Uh, as long as they don't bring in wild card teams and that, like they're doing now with the Briar, um, and negate the whole league process, then I'm perfectly fine with it. Well, I didn't think we'd ever talk curling on uh, on the pipeline show, but uh, <laughs> there it is. Uh, now, I guess the, it's not a coincidence. The reason uh, it just started a couple of years ago is well, there's no BCHL involved now, and maybe that's I don't know. Something we could talk about is just your feeling on what the BCHL has done and how that's sort of changed the landscape of the CJHL across uh, Canada and, and here with the Centennial Cup. Not having the BCHL involved in the BCHL champ, kind of, I kind of miss it. I felt, I said this a year ago, and I'm going to say it again, we're not getting Brooks Penticton, which would have been, if that was the Abbott Cup, that would have been massive. Yeah. And Penticton was ridiculous this year, but no one on the national stage is going to really know about it unless you're following the BCHL. It's, you know, you lose that opportunity there. In terms of what it means for the CGHL going forward, I think we'll start to find out here in the next little bit because um, once we find out what players are getting signed and that kind of thing, because uh, everything kind of reback, opens back up for in terms of junior A trades and signing. Well, signing's already started, but in terms of trades and that kind of thing, that all gets going here in June. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of what that means for junior A players going forward and kind of what their options are and where they go because if if they stick to their guns and if you play the BCHL and you end up getting cut or traded, you're not allowed in the CGHL league. Does that mean a lot of guys are going to end up playing down the NA or the NA3HL? Uh, because that might be their only options if they get cut from a BCHL team at this point. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's man, it's going to be really interesting to see how all of that transpires moving forward. I, I, I'm starting to cons- wonder if, if the BCHL, if it's going to backfire on them, I know that they're, Intention was to basically become equals with the USHL and kind of uh, on par like that and just uh, expect that all the college-bound players uh, would start migrating across the country uh, to BC. I don't know. I I wonder if it starts to backfire and guys who might have considered going to the BCHL don't. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, too, it's like, this is me more opining than anything, but it's like, oh, we're going to bring all these top-end guys. I'm like, well, realistically, unless you have some sort of draft, if you're a high-end 16- or 17-year-old, who are you going to choose? Merritt, Powell River, or Penticton? Hmm, I wonder what program I'm going to choose going mm-hmm. forward. So it's going to be one of those things, like, unless you put in a tender process or something like that, I don't see how it's not going to become haves and have-nots. Yeah. Which, if you look at the standings this year, it kind of already was. It really was, yeah. Like, 30, 40-point difference between the Vs and uh, the next closest team in the field. Um, yeah, it was uh, the, the playoffs there was a little anticlimactic, uh, let's put it that way. All right. Well, Lucas, uh, any uh, anything we didn't cover from the Centennial Cup that you think uh, was worth mentioning? No, I think we got everything covered. Like I said, definitely. If, if you're in an area near Oakville next year, or Okotoks in two years' time, uh, and you want to go see the tournament, definitely do so. Like I said, it's it's well worth it. Just seeing that many games in a in a short span, you'll probably run into a college coach or two because they were there scouting this week. So that was pretty cool to run into some of those faces there. But yeah, pretty good time, and I get highly recommended, and it'll be. Interesting to see, at least for me next year, covering the MJ, who comes out, because as it is often with Junior A, you don't know what it's going to be like roster-wise until the season gets going. But I think there's about four or five teams that legit could have a shot at the MJ title next year. So it'll be pretty interesting to see how it all plays out and who ends up in uh, Oakville, Ontario uh, in the year's time. All right, perfect. Lucas, I really appreciate your time, man. This was uh, terrific. Uh, Thank you for the recap, and uh, we'll chat again soon. Sounds good, Geek. Take care and enjoy the summer. Here's Lucas Pancari from the Brandon Sun with a uh, recap of everything that went down at the Centennial Cup in Portis La Prairie, Manitoba, uh, not that long ago. Well, about 10 days, two weeks ago now. 
Good to hear that it was well attended. And I know uh, the broadcast was pretty popular, following along with everything that was happening uh, on social media around the event. Looked like it was a pretty positive affair. Next up, we're going to recap uh, the Clark Cup and the Robertson Cup. That for the USHL and the NAHL. And, of course, that means Jordan McAlpine from the Rink Live is up next. You're listening to The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Yorkstrand hustles after it. Gabrikov off the point. Sillinger, his first in the National Hockey League. Hey, it's Paul Sillinger, the two Paul Stampede, and this is The Pipeline Show. Passion, talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 93% rate. Trevor Zegras. And they score on the lacrosse move. Jake Gensel. Gensel banks it towards the goal. He scores. Kale McCarr. Kale McCarr. He scores. Stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you're a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. My goodness gracious, man. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Well, la Okay, we're back on the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky, Alberta's best. Go to wilhockbeefjerky.com. Any order, any size, they will ship it to you in Western Canada. All right, we are headed south of the border, and a couple of weeks back now, both the Robertson Cup in the North American Hockey League and the Clark Cup in the USHL, the United States Hockey League, uh, they were both uh, wrapped up, uh, and we can go back and kind of recap uh, to some extent what happened. And maybe we'll start with the North American Hockey League. Is uh, joined now by uh, Jordan McAlpine uh, from the Rink Live. Uh, Jordan, welcome back to the show. How are you? Good. Yeah. No. Thanks for having me. I was going to say uh, about two, three weeks ago, but it feels like about two or three years ago now. With uh, <laughs> with the last couple of weeks, but definitely. Uh, I've said it once, I'll say it again, and probably sound like the broken record, that this is the uh, the fun time of year to cover. And obviously, uh, with, with both of the junior leagues kind of going head-to-head with the scheduling and the, uh, the overlap between the Clark Cup and the Robertson, that definitely uh, a lot of hockey going on and a lot of high-level hockey at this time of year. Yeah, and it all wrapped up kind of at the same time, really. I mean, the Robertson Cup and the Clark Cup were, were almost overlapping pretty much, weren't they? Yeah, no, the... Uh, Thankfully, in one regard, uh, with the USHO, with, with Youngstown getting it done in uh, in three games, that it was only the, the one night of that weekend. Um, but I know for, for myself personally, being out in Youngstown, that uh, the Robertson Cup, kind of seeing it from afar, that it's it's interesting that you've got your your two top uh, junior leagues in the States, if you will, with that, that are going head-to-head with the scheduling. But it's... Uh, at the same time, uh, obviously, the, the game's got to be played somehow, and there's uh, there's not an endless amount of possibilities and dates to make it work. So I guess you're going to have some type of overlap in some form or fashion. Well, really interesting the way the North American Hockey League wraps things up, uh, where you've got the four divisions and the footprint of the league is across the continent. So what they do is they, they uh, finalize, they get four teams to meet up in Blaine, Minnesota, uh, that's uh, the the division champs, and uh, I, I actually thought they would almost treat it like a, a like a mini round robin or something like that to to actually pare it down to a final. But they they went with the best of three. Uh, so we saw Maryland uh, taking on Austin and Oklahoma 
uh, had uh, the Minnesota Wild, and it ended up being Oklahoma and Austin in the final. Oklahoma winning the Robertson Cup. What did you uh, take away from uh, the event uh, in in Blaine? I know you weren't there uh, in first hand because you're out in Youngstown, but um, the way it all kind of uh, played out was anything a surprise to you, or what stood out? Uh, it was not a surprise the way it finished to me, just from from how the season went as a whole. I mean, it was it was kind of Oklahoma's year, and they ran away with it a lot of ways. You, you look across the uh, the standings, all the stats whether individual or team, it was warrior dominated at the top there that uh, I know Austin gave him a scare in that championship game. And don't, don't get me wrong. Austin was a real good team this year. Uh, Steve Howard's group was, was at the top of their division. You go back to the top prospect game. They were really well represented out there. A lot of firepower up and down that lineup that uh, they, they gave Oklahoma about all you could handle or all you could ask for in that last game. I know uh, the Warriors scored late. If, uh, if I'm not mistaken, off the top of my head, I want to say that the game-winning goal came with only like three or four minutes less in regulation. 4-3 uh, final up there for it. That uh, a real back-and-forth contest. And like I said, both, both teams showed that uh, they deserved to be in that stage, be on that game. But I, I will say, kind of to back it up to what you started with, with the, uh, the format, it is interesting. You have the four division winners go up there, Obviously, uh, you, you play a long regular season to get to that point. I, I am glad it's not just a one and done at the start, but I, I do agree. I, I'd be interested to see if it if it had a ra- uh, round robin format, what that would look like up there. You play the best of three series, you win that, and then you go to a one game winner take all. That uh, it works, and they've done it as long as they have. But at the same time, uh, I, I'm kind of in in your boat on that one. That uh, the round robin might be a little bit more appealing to. Uh, kind of get more of a, a true test or true result there. Yeah, and you get teams who don't play each other basically all year long and uh yeah. Yep, they they do they do divisional scheduling for uh for fans up in your neck of the woods that might not be familiar with it. So yeah. you actually kind of, kind of talking to the coaches the the week leading up to it it was kind of funny uh one of the, the we did a bunch of preview content one of the questions was what do you know about the team you're playing <laughs> and uh the the answer from a lot of them was not much just because they haven't seen each other you, you play a 60 game season condensed to the same five five six teams over and over depending on what division you're in there that uh it's a little bit of a wild card going into it, but at the same time, when you've got as big of a geographical footprint as the NA has, I uh, I do understand the divisional uh, format and scheduling that they do. I noticed that since the the Robertson Cup has wrapped up, that a lot of commitments have been announced uh, from the league, including um, the captain from Oklahoma, William Lawson Body, who is uh, heading up to Alaska. Yeah, that's uh, quite the jaunt from Oklahoma City to Fairbanks, <laughs> but he's a... Uh, He's definitely a hell of a player. Um, I know at, at that level, <clears throat> some of the time certain stuff or certain players get overshadowed, whether it's by the USHL, Canadian Junior Leagues, all, all the above. But you look at Lawson Body, he's, he's a three-year guy in the NAHL. He had a, essentially a startup program since they were an expansion team at the time. He's been there from day one. Uh, the, the Oklahoma Warriors, this was actually their first year in Oklahoma. They were in Wichita Falls before that and uh, made the relocation there. He followed them there. He was their captain. You talk to the coach, talk to any of the players on that team over and over. Yes, the stats, the goals, the points, everything looked great on paper, but his uh, his impact behind closed doors, if you will, is where you hear a lot of the credit and a lot of the uh, the praise the kid gets. 
He's a leader. He's had success at every level. You go back, he's a Grand Forks kid, had a high school, a good high school career up there. Now at the NA level, he's proven it. This was kind of his breakout year production-wise. And, I mean, let, let's be real. Alaska is a program that last year was just on the bubble out of missing the tournament. I know Eric Largan up there has got a lot of good things trending in the right direction. So it's a, it's an interesting ad. I mean, we're, we're, we're maybe not talking a, a five-star commit or a blue-chip prospect by any stretch of the imagination, but at the same time, a kid that could be a real good fit up there and especially at a program like that you could be hearing his name here the next few years jordan the uh the null had 29 teams this year they're going to be up to 32 next season with the addition of the colorado grit the rochester junior americans and the new hampshire mountain kings 32 yep. <laughs> teams uh that is a that's a big junior league uh is that you think by design or uh, what it, it, can you get too big if you're a junior league it, it's interesting to me so I say yes and no, and I mean, just just going from uh, strictly numbers, you're talking double the size of the USHL from 16 to 32 there. Right. I uh, I do think it's interesting that the footprint, now you're talking, you, you've got teams way up in the Northeast. You just mentioned it, New Hampshire is getting a team. Maine's in there. Obviously, New York, the state's got a few teams spread up throughout there. Now you're talking expansion west. You've got Colorado. You've got Minot. You've got Aberdeen. You go down south, you've got Oklahoma, Shreveport. It's uh, maybe not tapping into the West Coast yet, and uh, who knows? Maybe it'll be at 36 in a few years, and you'll have teams popping up in California. But uh, the, the way it's looking right now, it's uh, it's an interesting dynamic that, I mean, the USHL has been long considered the, the gold standard of junior hockey or the Tier 1 league. But uh, the NA is making a lot of headway, and at the same time, with, with that 32-team footprint, Yes, it's tough just because we're not talking teams staying at the, the four seasons or having the charters to fly everywhere like an NHL uh, organization. But at the same time, if you can make it regionalized and make it where the scheduling makes sense geographically, which here again, we, we talked about it earlier with the Robertson Cup, with that format that they use, kind of seeing those same teams over and over, I, I think you can make it work. And at the same time, if the league's successful and that the teams are able to stay afloat, uh, don't change a good thing if it's not broken. So we'll uh, we'll see going forward. Thirty-two obviously looks uh, looks kind of alarming, or might make you kind of bat an eye on paper <laughs> when you see that many teams. But at the same time, uh, it's progressing well for the league, and they've done a nice job the last few years here. Jordan, let's shift gears to the uh, United States Hockey League and uh, the Clark Cup wrapping up. It's a three-game sweep in favor of the Youngstown Phantoms over the Fargo Force. Youngstown started on the road, so winning the first two games in Fargo, that was pretty... Uh, I don't know if it was surprising or not. It, to me, it was, uh, just because how strong a season Fargo had. Uh, but the way it wrapped up, US, uh, the Youngstown Phantoms were really strong down the stretch and into the postseason. As it played out, I know you were uh, there for part of it. Uh, were you surprised? Yeah, a three-game sweep over the Anderson Cup champs, just like everybody expected, right? <laughs> no, uh, it's de- definitely, uh, definitely a surprise. But I will say, going going into it in hindsight, you look at the uh, the kind of body of work that Fargo had throughout the regular season, that lineup, especially on home ice too. That uh, I think the biggest the biggest surprise of that series to me was Youngstown going in there and winning those first two games. And now that uh, you, you saw Youngstown take a two nothing lead, they had all the momentum going back onto home ice. And I mean, it, it, like I said, in hindsight, it's easy to say it, but I kind of 
just had the feeling they were going to get it done there. And obviously all three of those games were tied heading into the third period. Two of them were scoreless. You look at kind of the, uh, the makeup of that series. It was the league's top goaltender and Jacob Fowler and one of the best defensive teams going against uh, arguably the most well-rounded lineup. You look up and down Fargo's roster, Max Swanson, Cole Knubel, Brett Link, Owen Mellenbacher, a lot of those talented forwards there at the top. They had a good decor. Their goaltending situation was great throughout the regular season. So it was it was kind of a, a matchup. Uh, I think a lot of people throughout the regular season saw Chicago just w- with the firepower that they had um, being the, the top seed in the East. But if you really looked at it, Youngstown's overall lineup and the build, that uh, I, I think that was the matchup that, that I could see coming throughout the playoffs there. And uh, I don't think I'd go as far to say the results I saw, but watching Youngstown play in those first two games, the momentum that they got rolling and obviously winning in the room in a tough building, that uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised that, uh, that the series ended up in three games uh, just based off that fact alone. Well, the big change in the league uh, before next season will be a new commissioner as uh, Bill Robertson is out as the uh, the boss for the USHL. Any idea who the replacement will be at this point? Um, it, it, it's interesting. I think we're getting a lot closer to an answer um, just based off the time of year that we're at here. It's actually something that this week at the uh, the Rink Live we're really trying to, to hard press on and dive into, but I don't know. It's it's one of those, uh, it's an interesting situation just with the, the season ending here. And obviously it's, it's a big decision just looking, I mean, simple stuff, whether it's playoff formats or the, the direction of the league going forward, that uh, whoever steps into that chair is going to have a lot uh, a lot thrown on the plate there. But I, uh, I, I can say at this point, I, I don't have a, a 100% name set in stone here. But uh, here again, I, I think we're definitely moving closer to a final decision. All right. Lastly, Jordan, you mentioned uh, the Rank Live, and man, you've been really busy. Uh, lots of stuff coming out uh, in the last little bit. Since the uh, playoffs ended, it seems like you're super busy, uh, even busier uh, than when the season was going. <laughs> and the draft right around the corner, so you've got lots coming up at the Rank Live. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, I know we talked about it before we started here, and I kind of kind of joked with a few people this week. It uh, feels like we're putting out more content with the uh, the season over than the games happening, but it's a, a good thing at this time of year. A lot going on. Um, I know myself personally, for USHL fans, uh, one day at a time here, having a team by team year end recap piece, caught up with all sixteen head coaches. So a lot of good stuff in there. Um, a lot of individual player spotlights within those two. So uh, whether it's for, for college hockey fans or NHL draft picks, stuff to look out there. And then also you mentioned at the draft, this uh, this month's a big one for junior hockey content, just leading up to it, doing a bunch of preview stuff. I know we've got a, a, a top 25 countdown of some of the top USHL prospects that could hear their name called. And then uh, as the draft day gets closer, just going to keep putting a lot of stuff out myself and all of our teams. So definitely uh, if you're a, a junior hockey or prospect fan, uh, make sure to check out our site and uh, follow along the stuff we've got coming out here. We'll be watching for that for sure. Jordan, as always, man, great to catch up. Thanks for doing this. And uh, I'm sure we'll chat again uh, pretty soon. Yep. No problem. Thanks as always. There's Jordan McAlpine from the rank live new contributor here to the pipeline show this season, as he's uh, taken over the beat there. Uh, covering the USHL and the NAHL for the Rank Live. I did mention uh, I called the Minnesota Wilderness the Minnesota Wild. That was my mistake. Uh, but great recap of uh, both of those two events and the way things are 
ended in uh, the North American Hockey League with the Oklahoma Warriors as the champs and the Youngstown Phantoms uh, taking the Clark Cup in the USHL. Next up, uh, we're going to have a 2023 draft spotlight segment. A sniper who went undrafted last year playing for the Saskatoon Blades. Igor Sidorov is his name. Let's get to know him next. You're listening to The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. And Doc will get back to it. Doc at his blue line. Comes to center, ducks around Leeson. In over the line on the wing, trying to go wide around. Pahal gets in front, shoots and scores! Ah! Oh, let's go! Kirby Doc puts hand to the ear as if to listen for the boos from the crowd here at the Art Harris Center. But what a brilliant individual effort by Kirby Doc. And the Blades have opened the scoring in game two in Prince Albert. I'm Kirby Doc of the Saskatoon Blades, and this is the Pipeline Show. Nothing compares to the smile on a child's face after their wish has been granted. The Rainbow Society of Alberta is dedicated to granting wishes throughout the province to children who have been diagnosed with a life-threatening or severe chronic medical illness. And you can help too. View the wishes, refer a child, and donate at rainbowsociety.ab.ca or get involved as a volunteer. Having a wish come true fills a child's heart with hope and happiness. Visit rainbowsociety.ab.ca today. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Who's scruffy looking? Hey, we are back on the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. The program is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Turkey. That's Alberta's best beef turkey. You can get it anywhere in Western Canada by going to their website, which is wilhockbeefturkey.com. All right, we are going to turn on the 2023 draft spotlight and get to know another player eligible for the NHL draft. And in fact, this guest was eligible last year, but for some reason was not selected and then went on to have a monster year for the Saskatoon Blades. Uh, great to catch up uh, with the uh, forward of the Saskatoon Blades. This is Igor Sidorov. Uh, Igor, welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing terrific uh, for yourself. Uh, uh, I know you're just coming off a bit of an injury at the end of the playoffs. Uh, how are you feeling right now? I'm feeling well better. I started training uh, three weeks ago, and yeah, I'm in the shape right now on the waiting uh the best, uh, almost the best day in my life, June 29th. Well, and that's the uh, the NHL draft, and maybe we'll start with that. Uh, after not being selected yeah. last year, uh, how disappointed you were, I'm sure, uh, with that. But uh, still eligible and, and had a fantastic year uh, this season. So you're pretty confident about the draft this year? Yeah, for sure. I mean, last year was uh, I was kind of sad. I was excited before draft. I thought I will draft it like six, seven rounds, but. It's happened. It's life, and I, I'm not give up, and I start working hard, and and yeah, hopefully this year, this year will much better for me. Draft 23 goals last year, Igor, in uh, in 58 games. Uh, why do you think you weren't drafted last year? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Really, ask uh, scouts. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It, it's happened. It's happened. So, uh, I mean, maybe this year I will draft it a little higher. So. 
well, this year, 40 goals in 53 games, 76 points along the way. Uh, how big of a difference was there for you uh, in your second season with the Saskatoon Blades? Did you feel a lot different? I imagine just being here for another year, there has to be maybe more comfortable uh, feeling uh, living here and, and playing here? Yeah, for sure. I mean, f- first year when I came to Canada, I didn't speak English at all. I mm-hmm. just knew, like, hey, how are you? That's it. And now I can I can give interview to you. So <laughs> it's a it's a big step, right? And uh, with hockey too, it's a little bit different speed, a little bit different hockey rink, language for sure. And yeah, so and the second year uh, I I knew that already, and yeah, and I play very well. So and I imagine your role on the team, the what they expect from you. Probably a little bit different in year two. Maybe more responsibility, yeah, more time sure. on the power play, and further up the depth chart, and all of those things too. For sure, absolutely, yeah, for sure. We had a, like this year such a great team. We was good in the playoffs, and yeah, I'm really proud of to this season with Blades and with all the coaches, staff, and players. All right, well, let's talk about the playoffs. Uh, it started against uh, the Regina Pats, a big seven-game series. These are two. Uh, it's a big rival for Saskatoon, and of course, with Connor Bedard, there was a lot of attention. You had huge crowds in Saskatoon, which was awesome. That, oh yeah, that must have been really an exciting series to play in. Oh yeah, for sure, it was uh, lots of people in the game in Saskatoon and Regina. It was good atmosphere, and it was the best time to play hockey, and especially in the playoffs like that. Though it was great series against Regina, and we start we're losing two nothing in the series, but we didn't quit and. We just we had a positive in the bench and positive everywhere in locker room and we just come back in a series and win that win that series. So yeah, yeah, come back from two nothing in that series. Well, that's nothing in the next series against Red Deer. You were down three nothing and came back and won that <laughs> series. That's I mean that's those are two remarkable series to have back to back like that. What tell me about the, the the series against the Rebels? Oh, it was it was uh, it was fun. I mean. Uh, when we start, when we're losing three off and uh, we had uh, lots of meetings, and uh, so Brandon Sony, our head coach, said like, just only three, two times in WHL, uh, team come back for three nothing and won the series. So and then he said, we we can be third team, and then we did that, and yeah, I was, it's so it's so nice. I mean, it's, I can I can explain that. It, it's very it's very good very nice and then the next series against winnipeg and that's uh, an even better team and just to to play seven against regina and then seven against red deer and all the emotion and uh, it, it would be a lot to expect to do it again against the winnipeg ice and i know you got hurt in that series but it, was there a bit of just running out of gas for the team i don't know we're still young guys you know like some guys 20 19 18 is old so we still have a lot of energy but uh, I know Winnipeg is such a good team too, and yeah, it was hard to play against every team in the playoffs, mm-hmm. especially Winnipeg. Yeah, so it's happened. Never know. Maybe if uh, in the playoffs we'll be for five five wins, maybe we will come back. Igor Sidorov is my guest. He is a forward with the Saskatoon Blades, at draft eligible again this year after not being selected in the 2022. NHL draft uh, for the casual fan who might be listening to this maybe they're just NHL fans and they don't pay any attention to the Western Hockey League I'm going to ask you some basic questions uh, for the benefit of that sort of uh, 
uh, hockey fan right now. Let's start with uh, where you're from. You're not a Canadian, obviously. Where'd you grow up, uh, Igor? I grew up in Belarus. I'm from Vitebsk. It's a town close to Russia. So, and yeah, I'm from that that city. How old were you when you first started playing hockey? Do you remember? I was, uh, I think I was five. Yeah, I was five. I started playing hockey. We're going for some lakes with my dad and brother. And it was like first time my dad like, said okay you i will teach you how to skate and then he just like pushed me and then i was just like start skating so so and, he, and we knew that uh, i will like hockey player so uh is is hockey the biggest sport in belarus uh before it was uh i guess no but now it's uh it's uh, better now it's better and i'm uh, really proud you're a forward have you always been a forward or did you try other positions when you were a kid no, no, I was forward all, all my hockey career. I, I have a lot of players who come on the show and I ask that question. Some of them will tell me about, you know, when they were a little kid, maybe seven or eight years old, their team might not have had a, a full-time goaltender, so everybody had to take their turn uh, and and put the pads on. No experience like that for you? You never put the pads on even as a little kid? Uh, no, no, I was just like forward every time. I'll have to score goals. <laughs> ah, that's the that's the key. It's a lot more fun to score the goals than get scored on. For sure, for sure, absolutely. All right. Well, the Saskatoon Blades took you in the uh, the import draft, twentieth overall pick in twenty twenty one. What did you know about uh, playing in the Canadian Hockey League before that? Was that something that you wanted to do to to come and play over here? Or yeah, no, for sure. I mean, uh, when I played in Belarus uh, in U seventeen, my my Big step was uh, to going up to U18, like who guys older older than me for one year, mm-hmm. and then I make this team and we go for a, a U18 tournament in uh, Dallas, Texas, I guess it was in 2021, and then uh, yeah, I I knew that like I will draft it if I will play good to WHL, and I play good like I had like five assists in five games, and then. My agent said after that tournament you will draft it to CHL and yeah I said like yeah for sure I will play in this league and I will do everything for be drafted to NHL and play in NHL. Did you know anything about the city of Saskatoon before you got there? Were, uh, you, were you looking it up on the internet and trying to learn as much as you could? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, right away after Saskatoon picked me, I just like spoke with my parents and my parents said like you should know the city and check in. And like Google or some stuff, and uh, uh, Prodes, maybe you know Alexey Prodes. He drafted to Washington, yeah, and he played in the PA. And then uh, I spoke with him a little bit about like Saskatoon because it's so close to PA, and he said it's a good city. And all right, so you get, well, see, and he was with Prince Albert, and that's a big rival as well for Saskatoon. So I'm I'm a little surprised he said nice things about Saskatoon. <laughs> Yeah, but he said, too, it's going to be tough to play against uh, Prince Albert this season. And I was just like, okay, we'll see. <laughs> uh, with the Blades this year, did your line mates, were they the same two guys for most of the year? Or did it, did it change throughout the season? Who did you find yourself playing with the most? I mean, we, we, I started playing with uh, Roulette and Pillar in the season and this season. And we did good. Uh, and then after I had injured... Uh, Beeler had injured, and after Roulette had injured, and, yeah. <laughs> and I'm starting to play with Lizovsky and Wong, and it's a good line mate too, and we'll play like rest of the season, and yeah, we did good. 
like uh, like all team. Why do you think uh, you and Wong and Lazowski uh, uh, did so well together? I mean, you were the three leading scorers on the team. What was it about the way you play that fit really well with the way that they play? I mean, Lizzo can shoot back, right? And he's very fast. Uh, Trevor can make uh, some good plays, right? And I can shoot back too. And so and we had a like, kind of trio, you know that? And yeah, we did good. <laughs> you mentioned head coach Brennan Sani a little while ago. Uh, he's been on the show. I really enjoyed speaking with him. As a player, what's it like having him as the coach? And, and how has he helped you become a better player? Oh, Man, he's so good coach. He's very smart. Uh, I never see that coach before. I swear, like he he's so smart. He's so smart. Yeah, and he have like emotion. Uh, we can we can see his passion. How he he loves hockey. How he he can try be uh, he can try make her better. So yeah, and I love that. All right, what surprised you about playing in the WHL? I'm guessing the travel was probably something you hadn't experienced before, going on the bus for the long bus rides. Oh, yeah, <laughs> especially in uh, British Columbia, BC, oh, like 20 hours, almost like 15, 20 hours drive bus. But, <laughs> I mean, I fly to Belarus, like, almost same time, right? <laughs> so it's kind of, for me, normal. <laughs> Did it take long to get used to some of the other differences uh, from here to home, uh, like food? Was food a big change yeah, for you? For sure, yeah. Here, like people eat lots of like fast food, I guess. Like, uh, right? Like for lunch, you know, in Belarus, like we try like eat like soup, like some for lunch, like potatoes, <laughs> like that stuff. And yeah, but it's a little bit different, but it's good too. And yeah, I like being in Canada, and North America. Igor, what do you like to do away from hockey? When you're not playing hockey, what do you like to do? I like play tennis. I like play soccer, too, as well. Now, I'm told you haven't been back home in a couple of years. I'm, I'm guessing maybe that has to do with what's going on over there. But uh, are you feeling a lot more comfortable here in, in Canada? Yeah. I mean, I still miss my parents, my friends. I have a, My brother have a kid, so I didn't see him yet. And, yeah, I'm just still waiting for my visa. As soon as the visa will come, I will go to see my family, for sure, and I need to make a license because I can drive here in Canada because uh, I don't have a like license here. <laughs> All right. Well, Igor, uh, maybe before I let you go, did you have a favorite NHL team growing up? Uh, every team. <laughs> every team. Every team, my favorite NHL team. So, yeah. Tough to say before draft, you know. <laughs> yeah, whichever team drafts you, that's your favorite team. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Well, Igor, uh, best of luck, whatever happens at the draft. Uh, you'll be back in, in Saskatoon next year, I'm guessing? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely, yeah. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time. Uh, good luck, sir. Yeah, thank you very much, and have a great day. Thanks for calling me. Igor Sidorov from the Saskatoon Blades. Heck of a season that that young man had uh, for the Blades. Unfortunate that he got injured in that uh, that series against the Winnipeg Ice. I mean, he was one of the big guns for the Blades, and they needed everybody uh, after uh, the first two rounds of the playoffs, uh, if they had any chance of getting past Winnipeg. You got to feel for them, because you know they would have been emotionally and physically exhausted after uh, coming from behind twice against uh, Regina and then against Red Deer. So up against it against Winnipeg and then to lose one of their uh, their main offensive weapons like that uh, is really unfortunate. Now, Sidorov, second year eligible. So he was eligible last year, didn't get taken. Not sure why that would have been the case. It's not like he's a five foot six or something like that. 
And man, that guy can fire the uh, fire the puck. He can fire the pill, as the kids say. So I expect he will get drafted this year. I know Central Scouting has him uh, ranked. Uh, we will see. But one of those overage players that uh, we expect uh, will be taken. In a couple of weeks from now, Brock Otten from McKean's Hockey is going to uh, join me. We're going to talk about some overage players for the 2023 draft. As we get into, well, the last few weeks leading up to the draft, that's when I gather all the scouts from uh, all the various uh, independent scouting agencies out there and give them a category, and we kind of go through some of those guys that fit whatever category the scout is talking about. And we're going to do that a lot for the next uh, two weeks after this episode, but we're also going to do that in this episode, uh, the last two segments. We're kicking off the scouting previews uh, for the upcoming NHL draft. First up, good friend of the Pipeline Show, that's Chris Peters from Flow Hockey. We're going to talk boom-bust players. That's next, here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Stutzler, back to Sider, across to Bach. Dominic Bach, great pass in for Stutzler, slides it back across, they score! Hello, this is Tim Stutzler from Mannheim, and this is the Pipeline Show. talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 93% rate. Trevor Zegras. And they score on the lacrosse move! Jake Gensel. Gensel banks it towards the goal. He scores! Kale McCarr. Kale McCarr. He scores! Stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you're a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. My goodness gracious man! Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. The cream will rise to the top. Oh, yeah. The cream of the crop. Nobody does it better. All right, we're back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming as the NHL draft gets ever closer. Uh, Time to take the deep dives into uh, the class of 2023. Uh, Of course, a reminder quickly that The Pipeline Show is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Go to wilhockbeefjerky.com and they will ship it to you. Any order, any size, anywhere in Western Canada. All right, uh, as we uh, get closer to the draft, uh, what I like to do is kind of break things down by categories, and uh, there's a lot of boom-bust guys this year, and to help us get to know those types of players, uh, Chris Peters from Flow Hockey, back on the Pipeline Show. Chris, thanks for doing this. How's things? Gee, everything is great. Thanks for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be back with you. Always fun uh, to talk hockey with you. Uh, well, I appreciate you making time like this because I know it's a busy time of year for for you and for uh, everybody that's covering the NHL. And they still got Stanley Cup playoffs going on, and prospect wise, uh, the NHL Combine, the draft right around the corner. So, uh, thank you for shoehorning uh, this uh, this interview in. Uh, let's get to the uh, the boom bust guys this year, and and I kind of frame it that way. I think these guys are all players who have lots of talent, but for whatever reason, there might be a bit of a concern. Uh, and that's not to say they don't deserve to be ranked where they might be ranked, but there might be some uh, some outside uh, circumstances that might give uh, some uh, reason to pause before you make that selection. Um, and uh, the first guy on the list, it has to be Matvey Michikov, doesn't it? I mean, a super uber-talented Russian, but there are circumstances uh, to consider. Uh, tell me why Matvey Michikov is a boom-bust guy for you, Chris. Yeah, you know, I mean, the the thing is, is that there, the boom potential is so huge like we're talking like potential superstar right so that's part of it 
So you've got, you know, the, the fact is that the variance between what is possible for him and what, you know, ultimately will happen um, is going to be fascinating to watch. I think he is the most important prospect of this draft, not because, you know, like I, I not because of he's not the best player, but I, I just think that he's the one that kind of holds the key to the entire first round when he goes, where he goes, all of that is going to, you know, play a significant role in, you know, how the first round is structured and, and everything else. So that's one part of it. The other part of it is, is yes, we have all the different risk factors. Um, and, and the, the reason that we say boom and bust is that there is always a, a risk analysis when you are doing any kind of picking in the very top of the draft and you have to weigh all of your options. And that's why for me, even though he is exceptionally intelligent as an offensive player, he is a gifted goal scorer. You know, I think if he were in some of the, the leagues that the rest of our, you know, draft eligible players are in, we would be talking about him more closely with Connor Bedard, uh, as opposed to, you know, being maybe the third, fourth or later pick, um, in this draft. And it's more than likely he will be later because of the risk factor. So you got the geopolitical issues. You've got the, the long-term contract, which I view as one of the lower risk factors. The contract doesn't bother me at all. Um, I think you're really only losing one year potentially of NHL service time from him with that contract if he is as good as we think he is but then there's another part of this and that's you know he is a below average size average skating wing which you know there there is obviously when you score at the level that he does and you make the plays and they have the creativity that he does there's potential for you to have a a a significant star player but there's also the chance that he never is able to play against NHL physicality. There's a chance he's never able to play at the pace required. And, you know, there's also the, the chance that he never really gets comfortable in a North American setting. Um, and so that, that also comes into the, into the play here. And, and you know, it's, there's just a lot of different things. So because there are so many risk factors tied to him, not just to the geopolitical issue, but also because of some of the physical limitations that he has, and I mean, and that's partially true of, of Connor Bedard as well, but I think Bedard has made a major commitment to strength and, and getting stronger and, and filling out more and maximizing the strength that he's able to pack onto his frame. You know, I think that's a big difference between the two players, and that's why I, you know, see Mitchkov as a potential superstar, but also a guy that potentially never reaches, the, never reaches what we think he can be. Well, the whole Russian passport uh, issue is is something that gets brought up every year, and this year and right now because of that global landscape that you were referring to, it, it does seem to to have a little bit more uh, oomph behind it. Some teams might shy away from from drafting a Russian. Do you think there is a club at the NHL level in the top ten that might not want to take that risk simply because? of uh, of the passport and that in this draft it might just be too much of a risk yeah i think there are multiple teams that that are feeling that and i think part of this the reason that it's a little easier to st- sidestep the risk is because of the value of the players that are around him right you know it's like you look at you look at leo carlson you say well i can actually make a case that he's a better prospect you know i can make a case that that will smith is gonna you know projects more comfortably you know i can make i can make a lot of different cases for players that that could potentially be a better player. And, and so that's, that's where you start to say, well, yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of teams that'll do it. The interesting thing about him, like, you know, I think 
the risk, obviously, you, I think you become more willing to take risks the further down the board you go because you really can't screw up a top five pick. Right. You just can't. You can't get nothing out of it. And it, it happens. It happens even against guys that we think are safe picks. But, you know, I, I think that there are absolutely going to be multiple teams that are going to sidestep the risk of, of Mitch Cobb altogether. And I, but I do think that every team from three down to, you know, wherever he ends up going is going to be tempted at the very least because he has this tantalizing skill and this incredible hockey intelligence. I, I really do think he's an offensive genius. So that's, you know, and that's, that's part of, part of the, the, the equation as well is like how many guys think the game at that level and don't make it. And, and it, the number is probably pretty small. When you look at the, the teams picking in the top 10 or even outside of that, how far do you think is the furthest he would fall? Like, is there a team that you're like, I'm thinking Washington at eight, if he's there at eight, there's no chance Washington's going to pass up on him, but I, I could be wrong on that. Maybe there's a team before that that you think will absolutely take him if he's available. Um, but what's your thought there? Yeah, I, I think that, that you know he doesn't get past eight or nine. I, you know, I think I, I I have a hard time as well seeing the Washington Capitals passing on him. I mean, they took a Russian player that was in a cancer battle in the first round last year with with Ivan Rashashenko, who was magical with Mitchkov at the U18 Worlds a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, now you've got – you can have both of them and, you know, replace Alex Ovechkin by committee at that point. You know, so so that's that's kind of uh, – I, I would have a very hard time seeing Washington do that. I think that they've – you know, they've got a model in place to um, support the Russian players to, you know, give them, uh, give them an opportunity – and, you know, they've, they've never, that, that really has never been a factor for them. And I think when you're talking about Matt Mitchkov at eighth, the value potential between him versus whoever else is available, that gap is now much wider than it was, say, even three or four picks, you know, or maybe even two picks before. So I do think Washington is, is the destination that I would have the hardest time seeing him slip past. And I wonder now, as a longtime Flyers fan, I have a hard time thinking of Michkov as the quote-unquote classic Flyers type of player, but they just acquired another first-round pick. Maybe they can swing for the fence with a guy like Michkov, especially if they are going yeah. full rebuild, uh, knowing that they have another first-round pick a little bit later in the draft. I don't know. You know, that's a really, that's a really good thought. <laughs> it's a really good thought, yeah. I mean, because here's the thing. like what What the Flyers are doing is saying the clock is not going to start for a few years here. This this is this is a significant move, and if there are other moves in the offing, which we think there could be, you know, they could be basically starting back at square one. Whereas you don't even need Mitchkov for a couple of years, but mm-hmm. it is still a humongous. I think for a team that is in a rebuild that is going to be that aggressive, you have the chance to land a huge a, a superstar individual for sure. But now you've got to you've you've got to weigh that against. Well, we can't miss on this pick, even though we have other picks. We can't miss on this one because this is the best opportunity we have to land the best possible player for the future of our franchise. But now, certainly, I think it becomes a greater possibility. All right. Well, we got lots of other guys we need to talk about, so we'll move on from Matt Bamichkov. But uh, I, I'm with you. He's got to be the biggest uh, draft day wild card at this point. There is another Russian that is getting a lot of first round attention, and that is uh, Daniel Butt, who is uh, from Yaroslavl, and uh, it's, uh, that's where he's playing as well. Uh, why is this guy someone that you would consider a boom bust? Because at least on paper, there seems to be a lot to like. Oh yeah, on paper, there's a ton to like. I mean, he is—he's huge, six foot five, 
He has good hands, and we're not just talking about good hands for a big guy. We're talking about good hands, period. You know, I think that he has a really tremendous shot and knows for the net. The reason that I think that there's more risk there is that we have fewer, you know, we, we, we have enough viewings of the player. We can make a lot of assumptions. You know, I, I think that at the MHL level, it can be very difficult to, ex- to assess the true value of a player. Um, and that's, you know, he played primarily at the U20 level. And so that league is very, it can be very hit and miss in terms of the level of competition. You know, there's, so, so we don't have as many opportunities to see Daniel Boots in a setting where, you know, where he can be among his peers. So we don't really have a chance to see him against the top Canadians or top Americans or top whoever's mm-hmm. like we would have if, if Russia was involved in the international tournament. So I think that that's part of what adds to the risk there. He's not a great skater. That's another thing. You know, when you have a big player, you almost expect a lot of them are not going to be very good skaters, but I think his hockey sense and his hand skills are going to allow him to offset that. And then, you know, a big player is always going to get the benefit of the doubt. I think, you know, you look at the, what Paige Thompson has done in his career and the way that he has continually transformed and improved and just is now fully formed. You say, can we, can we replicate something like that with Daniel Booth? Cause he is a raw talent. I think there's still a lot of, you know, training that he's going to need. I think a lot of strength and, and just understanding how to play at his size. Um, and then on top of that, you have all of the same issues we just talked about with Mitch Cobb aside from a long-term contract. So, you know, I think that that's, that's, that can't be ignored either. And why, you know, for me, as I, you know, start doing mock drafts and things like that, I think it's probably safer to project him a little bit further down in the first round. But I do think he's going to get picked in the first round because there are so many, you know, there are so few rather players that, that are fit his size profile and his skill level. It just, uh, there aren't many guys that exist like that. And I think that especially this year, and we're going to talk about some smaller players here in a little bit, but you know, this year there are so many smaller players in the first round Mm -hmm. uh, or guys that are projected in the first round right now. And as we continue to see NHL teams would prefer to stay bigger, you know, they, they just would. Um, And so, you know, I think that that also gives Daniel Boots a leg up, but, but the risk factors are there. The skating is certainly a concern. The, you know, the Russian factor will always be there. But then also, you know, how, how good is he really? That's the thing that I think, you know, we don't have as many opportunities to see how he looked um, against, you know, his age peers. And, and so I think that that does matter. I think it makes it a little, it makes you more comfortable. It doesn't necessarily change your projection, but it can solidify your opinions about certain things about the player that I don't think you can do by exclusively watching him in the MHL. You mentioned his contract's not that big of a concern. He is signed for a couple more years over there, isn't he? He he is, yeah. But, I mean, I think that he's also the kind of player where you're not expecting him for a couple more years anyway. So, you know, and I I do think that that's that's kind of, uh, again, and I I, I even think with Mitchkov, it's still not that big of a concern. Now, the only the, the big difference between him and Mitchkov is Mitchkov's co- rights are owned by the richest club in the country. Mm. So, you know, that does they, – they have the means to, you know, secure him for longer if they need to. You know, that – and I do think that creates a, an additional layer of fear. It also makes it a lot harder to – you know, some of these guys do get out of their contracts early or have signed – have clauses and or have buyout options. And, you know, I don't think that that's something that necessarily is going to entice, you know, Scott St. Petersburg, where it might for Yaroslavl. 
Uh, Chris Peters is my guest from Flow Hockey. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris M. Peters, and uh, his uh, top 100 is uh, available at flowhockey.tv right now as well. All right, let's move on from Daniel Boot to uh, not a big player, and Andrew Crystal from the Kelowna Rockets out of the Western Hockey League, uh, listed at 5'10 and about 165 pounds. And, and I know that there's kind of three things that a lot of people are looking for, size, skating, or skill. He's got the skill. He doesn't have the size. What about his skating? And is that where the boom-bust factor comes in? Yeah, that's the thing is, you know, he's not a big guy, and he's not a great skater. You know, he's, he's, not, he's not bad. He's not a bad skater. He's not slow. But it's you have to be a pretty good skater at his size to be able to make an impact. Now, the reason I still have him on my own rankings as a first-round prospect, and I wrestled with this, um, I just believe that players like him that think the game offensively the way that he does, that have the hand skills to execute at the level he did this season, they are going to give themselves a chance. And I don't think that there are enough players that I listed after him that think the game work can execute at that level. Um, and that's, that's where, you know, I start to say, I, I believe that there's potential there, but there aren't many guys at his size profile and at his skating ability that are full-time NHL players. It's hard to find a guy to really compare him to because you'll say, okay, well that guy's his size and has similar skill, but he's a really good skater or, that guy's a good skater. He's a little bit bigger. You know, those are the types of things that, that, that you kind of look at when you're doing different comparisons and things like that. So, you know, I think that with the way that NHL teams are going um, and certainly watching the playoffs and, and that's what a lot of, a lot, you hear a lot more um, scouts talking about specifically the playoffs, specifically is this, yeah, this guy would be fine in the regular season. Hmm. Is he going to help you? in the spring. And that's, you know, I think that's a legitimate question that can continue to be asked about Andrew Crystal, who, again, I think that his effort is good. I think he try, you know, he gets to the interior, he can score from the outside. Um, he just can't separate, you know, and that it, it's some, you know, he, he's, he's good enough against the juniors. It's just, I don't think he can separate at the, at the, at the NHL level. And that's why, you know, I think that of the guys that I listed in my first round, he was probably one of the guys that I felt, I was carrying on a lot more risk with in putting him there um, than some of the others, but that, you know, and that's, that's pretty much with him. I think, uh, you know, there's, 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 there's a lot to like, but the things that you don't necessarily like are things that really, really matter to NHL teams a lot more than they might matter to those of us that do this in the public realm, because, you know, we're putting names on a list and they're trying to actually build a team. So um, that's where that's where I totally understand where a lot of NHL people that you talk to say, hey, that's a little too much risk for me at that at that number. You have them in the mid 20s. I won't say exactly where people can find that at uh, flowhockey.tv. But is it fair to say that if his skating, if he was above average skater or even a good skater, he'd be a lot closer to a top 10 pick? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think we'd we'd start having that discussion about guys like him and and Zach Benson more. You know, like because Zach Benson is also not a great skater, but he is as productive and he's got tremendous off the puck value because of how competitive he is. 
And that's why, like, I think that there's probably a lot of risk with Zach Benson going in the top 10 as well, even though that's where I have him. Hmm. Um, but he's got that elite competitive nature and a good stick. And, you know, he's one of the guys that often gets identified by WHL players that's super tough to play against. Um, and so that, that matters. He's found a way to make himself matter in, in, uh, in ways other than just creating offense. Whereas I think with Crystal, you're, you're talking about a guy who might be a little bit to one way, but you got to score to win. So there's still value in guys that can score. I'm going to skip over the goaltender for a second and, and go to uh, the last skater on the list. And that's uh, Cal Ritchie, who, uh, had a, had, had a good season for the Oshawa Generals, uh, point per game player this year. 24 of those, uh, 59 points were goals. Uh, but makes your boom bust list. Uh, tell me why. Yeah, you know, I think part of the reason is he checks a lot of the boxes in terms of the skill level, the the size that he has. You know, that I think he plays you know with decent enough intensity and and things like that. But the reason, you know, he his numbers were not great this year. You know, you don't expect that from a guy that you're going to start talking about as a top fifteen, top twenty pick. Um, he's you know he looks the part for sure. And he had some really good moments and good stretches throughout the season. He had a decent run here at the, at the under 18 world. He was outstanding at the Lincoln Gretzky cup, but you know, that OHL season was a little bit sluggish. And now the, the other thing that makes this interesting though, is that he recently revealed that he'd been playing through a shoulder injury throughout the year and actually underwent an off season procedure to get it corrected. And so that adds a new wrinkle hmm. to the things. And that, that's actually something I didn't find out until after I did my rankings, you know, so um, cause that wasn't necessarily public, uh, public knowledge, or at least not widely known for, for me at least. Um, and then, you know, so that, that's a very interesting element too. It's like, okay, well, how much did that really hinder him? Was right. he able to, you know, still do it? And so you take that into account as well, but I think because of the size factor, because of, you know, his, that he proved it at internet on the international stage multiple times, you know, maybe there's a little less stock put into his his season overall but I I would say that he was kind of underwhelming in the OHL this year so you've only seen flashes of what his maybe true potential is but again if you're not seeing it consistently then that creates that risk level again where you're saying oh maybe you know I don't know if he's everything I thought he could be but I do think that NHL teams are going to be very interested to take a chance on him regardless because of what we talked about earlier where there aren't a ton of guys in this draft class that are, you know, above six foot that are the best offensive players that have the, you know, that have the total package. Um, And so I think that gives guys like Richie a chance to sneak into that top 20, maybe in the top 15 with teams taking a chance on them. But then also what if what we saw at the OHL this year, wasn't just a product of injury, but was, you know, part of a, an underlying issue. So if you look at the entire body of work of Callum Richie, I think that you're, you're more comfortable selecting him. Um, if you were just looking at this season, I think you'd be saying he, I still think he's a first round pick, but maybe a little bit lower. So, um, but I think he's a really good player. Uh, I'll be, I'll be really fascinated to see where he goes. Um, and we'll see what kind of information comes out of the combine in terms of, you know, how teams thought about him, um, and what, what, what various things they thought about the injury. So a lot, a lot of intrigue there. Well, and he's a right-hand shot can play in the middle six foot two. So he's got a lot of those things that that are coveted by teams. Uh, so that's a really interesting player to watch for. Ten points in five games at the Holinka Gretzky Cup for Canada. So that's uh, Cal Ritchie. All right, uh, now uh, goaltenders always intrigue me, and uh, here's a guy in Michael Rabel who uh, is off to UMass uh, for this coming season but played this past year uh, for the Omaha Lancers. 
Numbers not great, pretty average, really. 908 save percentage and had a losing record, but that wasn't a great team either. Uh, and internationally, when he was playing for for Czechia, he, he did have some good numbers. 920 save percentage at the uh, at the U18s. Uh, but tell me about the boom and the bust and why uh, he's the guy you wanted to talk about. Yeah, you know, he is, uh, for a good chunk of the season, I had viewed him as a first-round goaltender. Um, and, you know, I still think he could go in the first round. Um, let me also start by saying I think pretty much every goalie in the history of the draft is boom bust. Yeah. You know, I, I really, you know, the risk factor – the very, you know, there's so much projecting that goes on, and they take way longer to get to the NHL than the other players there. But here's what I do know about Michael Robble, and from watching him more than over the last year plus, is he's, you know, he's six foot six. He's incredibly quick at that size. He is has good technique. He does a lot of things well. He saw a ton of shots this year on a team that was one of the worst in the USHL um, and managed to, there were, there were a lot of games where he was at least able to hold them in. And yes, the numbers are poor. And that is a reason why you say, okay, this is a guy that I like a lot. I, I know the skills are there, but the results weren't. And part of that is environmental. Part of that's the team. Part of that's the situation. You always have to take that context into account. But I think his overall ceiling is number one goalie. And then, as with all goalies, their floor is never hear of him again. Right. You know, like, that's, what, that's what it feels like. It's, that's an exaggeration, but that's kind of what it feels like. And I think a goalie like Karabal, especially when you see him in the international setting, where he was, you know, Czechia did not have a great under-18 world. He gave them a chance, and he gave them a chance every game. Um, he battles which I think is another thing with, with goalies, you know, the, the competitiveness, the, how hard it is to score on them from in tight, how hard it is to score on them through traffic. Um, the fact that he's so big and takes up so much net, he, he still battles for the loose pucks. He still goes after, he still plays aggressively. And I think that that's a very good sign. Um, as he continues to get more training, I think that's going to be a very good thing for him um, just to, to just kind of continue to refine and to hone. And now he's going to UMass next year, which is an interesting decision. Um, he was uh, originally going to be going back to Omaha for another year. He would have played probably more games at Omaha. He probably would have gotten more reps. But by going to UMass, he's probably going to get – I don't think he'd be going unless he was going to be getting some significant playing time. Um, and so they've got a good recruiting class coming in. He's one of the big prizes of the entire class. And I'll be interested to see. I think he's a guy that you probably would leave in school for a, a minimum of three years, unless he is all world as a sophomore. But I think you're probably keeping him there for three years. He'll probably play in a couple of world junior championships. He'll probably get a lot of high level opportunities. And so you're, you're also drafting the, you know, you're not just drafting the goalie, you're kind of drafting the entire plan for that goalie. Um, you have to, you have to be pretty solid in your decisions and, and, and how you treat that goaltender, how you develop that goaltender, how much contact you have with them and how much you kind of let him be to do his own thing. So I'm very fascinated to see where he goes. I do think it's possible, especially with a lot of the trade movement. And because there is a number of really good goalies 
in this draft and guys that will get drafted probably in the second or maybe third round. You know, I, I could see a team trying to jump the line and going after and getting Harabal because he's uh, of the goalies. I think he has the highest upside. Right. But again, as all goalies do, humongous risk attached to that. Yeah, I, I like that. Uh, high upside, or you never hear from him again. That's a good way of putting it. And but <laughs> when I look at his last two or three years, the outlier season is his 31 games with Omaha. Everywhere else, yeah. at whatever level. He's got really good numbers, so it does really seem like it was just those 31 games in Omaha, and that indicates a, a weak team. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. You sold me on uh, Michael Rabel. Um, all right, I, that's it for the boom bust, guys. There was one other uh, player I asked you for, uh, and uh, we do this every year. It's not a player that you hate or dislike. It's just you like him, but not as much as the consensus, uh, perhaps. And uh, there's a lot of people who like uh, Jaden Perron. Uh, from the Chicago Steel, and, and you like them, but maybe not quite as much as everybody else. Why is that? Yeah, that's yeah, that's a good that's a good one, Guy. Yeah, I mean, I, I and thank you for the qualifier because I do like the player yeah. an awful lot. I think that he's going to be a really good player. Um, I think you know, if you to me, he's a second round draft prospect. I know I've seen him in the first in a couple of places. I think he's been pretty high. Um, I think actually Central Scouting has him a little further down too. Um, and I think that most NHL scouts that you talk to have him in the second and some even in the third round. Um, and part of that is, is because of the size factor, but he is a really good skater. He's got a good shot. Um, I think early on this season, he didn't really produce. And I think he was trying to figure out exactly what this year was going to be like. He did start really showcasing everything he can do when he was with Macklin Celebrini. And, you know, my concern is that he's a little bit more of a product of Celebrini that, and his numbers in the second half are a little more a product of, of that you know chemistry that he developed with him. Um, because Celebrini was the one driving the line. Perron was just a very good you know finisher, and he could also he's a good setup man. I mean, he's got vision, he's got skill. There's a, there's some dynamic elements to him, um, but at his size and at his um, you know and just he's, he doesn't have a lot of off the puck value it's hard to figure out where he's going to slot in. Um, and, and, but I, again, I still think that because of the skill that he has and because he is a good skater, um, he's going to give himself a chance to, to make it. He is going to the university of North Dakota as well, which I think is a great place for, for a player like him to go be a little bit harder, be, you know, you gotta, you gotta work a little harder off the puck. You gotta have some defensive responsibility. You know, you're still going to be viewed as a guy that's going to have to score, um, and they've had good success with smaller players at that program as well. So, you know, I think that that's going to be a good thing for him. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's not, it's not that I dislike the player. It's just that I think that putting him as a first round draft prospect is, is probably not what's going to happen on draft day. Um, and I, I, you know, I just think that he's a good player that you take all of those things into account. And if you draft them, you know, late second round, early third, you're really pleased with the value that you get. And you don't feel like you've taken on as much risk as you potentially would have if you drafted them much higher. For a player like that going to North Dakota, it's he's obviously going to have a lot of talented teammates. He's going to be uh, uh, playing with a lot yeah. of skill. He's also got the competition in the NCHC is going to be top notch as well. So all of those are positives. Ice time. Will, will he have to play further down the depth chart there? And is that a negative than, say, if he was going to, I'm, I'm just going to, Canisius, 
something like that, where he's going to yeah. be the number one guy probably on the team. Does an NHL club look at that and, and kind of weigh those factors too? I think they do, but but I think you also look and you say, well, Brad Barry continually turning out NHL players out of that program. Yeah. And I think you're also saying he'll get the ice time that he earns there. You know that. And, and it creates an environment where he's got to earn something. Um, I don't think that North Dakota at this point in time, over the last couple of years, I don't think that they have been um, as strong. They don't have as many elite offensive players. They are getting quite a few guys to return, which is gonna, which does make it a little bit more challenging. But you know, I think I think Perron with the way he finished this season, he's going to challenge for a very good lineup spot there. Um, and you know, even if he's not in a top a top guy this year, if you're if that's your second or third round draft pick, you've got more than enough time to wait right. to let them figure things out. And even one year of college hockey for these guys can make a massive difference in their, their development. And regardless of where they play. And I think that'll be the case with him. I think he's in a good situation. He knew where he wanted to go very early on in the process. He got great schooling at Chicago and now he'll be able to go and, and be in a bit more of a, a very NHL style environment that they run in North Dakota. Chris, this has been terrific. I really appreciate your time. Uh, what do you have coming up in the next couple of weeks before the draft at Flow Hockey? Yeah, lots of stuff. You know, mock drafts. I always like to take a look at some of the guys that are in the late rounds that I couldn't get into my top 100 that you know I, I like, but you know, not quite enough to, to rank them in that in that list. And uh, that's always one of my favorites to put out there. I'm heading over to the combine, so I'll have plenty from there. And uh, we've also got a lot of. Uh, video scouting reports that are coming out we just started one with Connor Bedard it's not all going to be the top guys that kind of spread it around a little bit but obviously got to start with the with the number one guy there uh but we've got those those are up on uh flowhockey.tv and then also on flow hockey's youtube page which uh, is really becoming a uh <laughs> a haven for draft fans with the amount of draft content that we are putting up on youtube so definitely check that out uh flow hockey on on youtube there we'll do that for sure Thanks, man. Chris, I really appreciate it. Uh, We'll talk again soon. All right. Thanks, Keith. Appreciate it. That is Chris Peters uh, from Flow Hockey. He is the first of a number of scouts that I'm going to get on the uh, show here in uh, not just this week, but next week and the week after as uh, we're going to break some players down into categories, Uh, that one being boom-bust guys. Next segment, we're going to be talking offensive-minded defensemen. We'll get to playmakers and snipers and goaltenders, defensive defensemen, lots of different ways we're going to uh, kind of break guys down and uh, ask some independent scouts uh, who fits into those categories that they're most intrigued by uh, coming up for the 2023 NHL draft. So uh, lots, it's it's actually going to be a lot of fun here over the next few weeks for sure. Uh, and speaking of that next segment, offensive-minded defensemen, who are those guys? We'll find out when we track down Mitch Brown from EP Rinkside slash Elite Prospects. He's next here on the Pipeline Show. It's brought to you by Wilhot Beef Jerky. Hi, I'm Matthew Woods, part of the University of Connecticut. Power play is over. Teams are five aside. Sent out front. Score! The freshman, Matthew Woods. And UConn has finally dented the brick wall that is Jakob Dobush. I'm here with the Pipeline Show. (laughs) 
Oscar from Atchison loves Wilhawk beef jerky. I'll never forget it. Heading to the lake. Three screaming kids in the back. Let's get ice cream, we said. Sour, soupy sundaes all over the van. But then I found Wilhawk beef jerky. Tender, seasoned pieces of meat smoked to perfection. Perfect for keeping little mouths busy. And best of all, no sloppy surprises. And I always make sure to bring a little extra to eat around the campfire. Thanks, Wilhawk. Wilhawk beef jerky. It's the best. You're listening to The Pipeline Show. You have my curiosity. With Guy Flaming. Now you have my attention. Final segment to go on this week's episode of The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Of course, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. You can get it in three locations in the Edmonton area or just go to their website at wilhockbeefjerky.com and they will ship it to you any order, any size, anywhere in Western Canada. My last guest for this week, uh, as we uh, continue on with uh, some scouts, is uh, Mitch Brown from EP Ringside or Elite Prospects, and uh, we're going to talk about some offensive-minded defensemen uh, with uh, Mitch. Mitch, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you? Not too bad, Guy. Thanks for having me on. A pleasure to get a chance to speak with you again. I know it's uh, an awfully busy time of year, and you guys just put out the the uh, the new draft guide. Uh, so exciting times and. Draft junkies uh, always love to get a, a hold of that. It's such a, a wealth of information. Uh, how many pages this year? Uh, I have it open right now, sixteen hundred and sixty-four. Oh. Uh, I do not, I do not expect everyone to read it, but for those who want to go super in deep and learn about our process, we have all the game reports in there too. In addition to two hundred to four hundred word breakdowns on the players, all sorts of stats and everything that you could possibly wish for. And it's all part of uh, becoming a, a, a premium membership as well with uh, EP Ringside, correct? Yeah, 12 US dollars per month, or if you sign up now, you save 50% on, a subscri- on an annual subscription. Now, that gets you Elite Prospects and EP Ringside, correct? That's right, that's right. You get Ringside, all of our written content, and then on the other side, you get an ad-free experience on Elite Prospects, plus all sorts of crazy filters be able to find who is the highest scoring 16-year-old in WHL history born this time of year. You can have all those trivia answers with Elite Prospects Premium. Nice. All right, Mitch. Well, I wanted to get you on uh, to talk uh, offensive-minded defensemen, and that's uh, a list of guys who, hey, listen, they could probably pay defense as well. It's part of their job title. Uh, but when we think of these guys, it's their offense that stands out. And uh, the first guy to talk about is uh, Lucas Dragasevic, plays for the Tri-City Americans, and that seems to be the the consensus on him is he's an offensive force, might have some uh, work to do on his defensive game, but uh, when you, if you want an offensive-minded defenseman, uh, you can't go wrong with him. I mean, he is Tri-City's offensive hub. Everything runs through him. It's it's pretty incredible to watch. I don't, I don't blame them for having him out there 25 minutes to create offense. He does everything, shooting, passing, handling, like an NHL forward, watching him break down opponents from the point, his give-and-go game in transition. And the way that he links everything together, too, is really special. You don't see this very much, where a guy can start a play in his own end, get the puck back three or four times in a single shift as he advances the puck up the rink and then creates opportunities. He's just so deceptive. He plays with pace. He's very aggressive and just endless confidence with him. It's going to be a question of skating and defense. I think defensively, he certainly tries. It, the feet just aren't fully there yet at this point. But at six foot two, with that level of offensive capability, he's going to get a lot of looks in the NHL. So he'll get a lot of time to 
weed out some of those defensive goals for sure. Mitch, if there's one trait a, a player has that they might be weak in uh, that you're okay with at this age, is it skating? Because that seems to be the thing that you could probably work on practice the most and, and improve on the most, whether it's mechanics or, or strength or whatever it is that's weak in your skating game. If a guy doesn't have the offensive instincts or hockey IQ, that's hard to learn, but maybe you can tweak a guy's skating to improve that. Is that fair? Absolutely. And of course, when you're dealing with high intelligent players like like Lucas Dragosevic, they're going to find ways. Say they end up being a below average skater in the NHL, he'll find a way to make it work because that's just what he does. He's found a way to make it work at every other level. He's, his speed is certainly not an advantage in the WHL and especially laterally when he does the kill McCarr shimmy shake thing from the point, hmm. he's not exactly creating much distance. So instead of trying to break opponents down like that, he uses more deception and give and goes and playmaking and stuff like that to create those opportunities. So yeah, for sure, it's gonna ma- it's going to improve, but it's also he already has solutions in his game to counteract having skating as a weakness. Do you think personally that uh, he's worth a a first round pick, maybe a late first round pick, or do you think he's more of a day two guy? We ranked him thirty eighth or thirty ninth, but I mean it's completely reasonable to take him in the in the late first for sure. I mean, okay. just so much offensive skill can't go wrong with picking a player like him. All right, that's Lucas Dragasevic. Uh, let's go to Luca Cagnoni, who plays for the uh, WHL's Portland Winterhawks, who I, I know I had a uh, I was chatting with uh, the play-by-play guy for the Oil Kings when uh, they took on the Winterhawks this year and said, this guy's the real deal. Uh, I know lots of people who really like him, uh, and when you think of offense, he's the guy that comes to mind for you. I mean, he is just so electrifying to watch. I think he kind of subverts our expectations as to what an offensive defenseman is supposed to be a little bit. Traditionally, we think of guys who can lead the breakout and then fire off point shots and maybe sneak down the weak side for a one-timer. He's he's above the forwards in the rush. He's he's sprinting up the ice for so Carter Southern can hit him with a lead pass, and then he comes in and gets a two-on-one or something like that. It's pretty incredible seeing his proactive activation game and how he creates these opportunities with, say, He's moving one way, the defenseman is moving the other way, and so he uses that as an advantage to be able to beat them or to find the trailer or to be able to drive the net and fire off a shot. Uh, He controls the game through that. He's one of the rare players who doesn't necessarily need the puck on his stick to be able to dictate offensive actions because he's just so involved in the play. He activates, he sets picks on guys, he creates a little bit of space, maybe gets away with some penalties because he's just kind of in the way or he's getting open. And so there's all this extra time and space for his teammates when he's on the rink. And then you add on the fact he's a very scary shooter and he's an even more dynamic playmaker. And there's a lot of reason to believe that he'll have offensive success at the next level. Well, if, if skating was an issue for Dragosevic, and we're not saying that's the case for Canyoni, what is the drawback? Is it the size listed at, what, 5'10", about 170, 175 pounds? Yeah, exactly. We have a we have a good quote from a scout in our draft guide where he's basically saying, like, look at all the teams in the playoffs this year and look at the size of their blue line. If there's anything that works in Cagnoni's favor in this, it's that throughout the season, he added a lot more defensive capability to his game. He was getting on guys earlier. You want to be a smaller defenseman in the NHL. Your gap has to be tight and proactive. you got to get on guys before they can build speed and try to turn the corner on you or be able to run you over. And that's the way his game is trending. So he's, will say, a little bit riskier than Dravisevic in that way. But the upside could be even higher just because his offensive style seems to fit with what top teams in the NHL are doing, say, like Colorado, for example. 
Uh, Mitch Brown is my guest. He's uh, a scout with uh, Elite Prospects slash EP Ringside, and we're looking at offensive-minded defensemen uh, available in the class of 2023, and that takes us to Matthew Mania, which is a marketing department's dream name uh, for a, a, a player, uh, for sure. A six-foot, almost 200-pound defenseman who plays for the Sudbury Wolves out of the Ontario Hockey League, 38 points this year in 67 games. Uh, not a player that I've seen uh, in in person. Uh, what can you tell me about him? So the first interesting part about him is that he was actually one of the CHL's most productive even-strength scorers per minute. So he just wasn't getting the same secondary or power play production as his peers were, but he beat out a bunch of the OHL guys. I think he was 7th or 8th in the OHL overall amongst defensemen, which is pretty impressive. He's, I guess, an incredible puck handler, incredibly creative, so poised under pressure, no player, no one that we've talked about, no one that we're going to talk about, tries to create as much with his every touch as him. He never settles for the easy play ever. And that is, at the current stage of development, a huge advantage, right? You want to see players experimenting and trying to expand their game as much as possible. In the future, it could come back to bite him a little bit. He is kind of an improviser. But when you have the hands that he does, the shooting, the passing skill, the physicality, he's going to get a lot of opportunities to shine in the NHL. Sounds like a guy that you can mold, uh, that, you know, if you got to rein him in a little bit, that's okay. It's easier to rein in a guy than, you know, have to try to spur him on. Exactly, exactly. He's he's chaotic, but in all the right ways. All right. Uh, Etienne Moran, who is a uh, defenseman with the Moncton Wildcats out of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. We also saw him playing for Canada at the World U18 a little bit. Uh, 72 points this year in 67 games. Uh, I'm surprised maybe with those numbers that we're not hearing more about him as a potential first-round pick. Uh, What's the drawback with him? So the drawback is mostly that he's super rough around the edges at this stage. His defensive game, it's very physical, but it's not very intelligent, to put it nicely. He's just kind of running around, planting his feet, letting guys get dusted, letting guys beat him with speed, getting dusted, and so on. He's turnover prone. There is a lot of holes in his game, for sure. The skating probably isn't at the level that you would expect it to be. But like Luke Stragasevic, he does have an incredibly advanced offensive mind, how he draws pressure before he passes the puck, how he tries to create lanes, he has a big-time point shot. You do see more advanced defensive stuff from him. And, of course, all of this is underpinned by the fact that this guy is a tank. He wants to physically, he wants to be as physical as possible, as much as possible, just about every shift. It's incredible. And so when you have that level of engagement, sure, there are bad habits that he needs to work on, but that should lead to improvement in the future. And of course, I mean, he's going to, when he gets into the NHL, there's going to be a coach who's going to watch him and think, yeah, we can live with the mistakes if he's blowing guys up on one end and scoring goals on the other. Yeah, it's not like he's a monster physically at 6'4 or something like that, but he's six foot and 183 pounds right now. So pretty, you could project him to be six, six one maybe and, and 200. And that's a, that's a fire hydrant of a defenseman if he's that physical. So. Uh, that's an interesting player, the way you describe him there. Uh, but maybe some stuff that he's got to uh, figure out as well. But again, we're talking about juniors right now, uh, so lots of time for that. Uh, let's go to an import player that uh, I don't know at all. So you're going to have to uh, educate me a lot on uh, Rodwin Dionisio. I probably butchered that, but uh, a player that uh, is coming over uh, from Switzerland, playing with the Niagara Ice Dogs, and uh, ended the year with the Windsor Spitfires. So Dionisio is 
Well, we actually ranked him last year, and he goes unpicked because of skating concerns, which I understand. But we ranked him because he's an incredibly dynamic player. He's not just someone who takes lanes. He's someone who creates them. He's constantly deceiving opponents with little fakes and changes of pace, drawing pressure towards and then going back through them. You see him from the point just break down opponents like they're nothing. And the, the major flaw is that he can barely move out there. Mm-hmm. I think the skating improved a little bit, but he's either super heavy, he has difficulty generating speed backwards. But he got moved forward later in the season with Windsor. And he played a, he played a fair bit with Shane Wright and Alex Christopoulos. And he was the play driver on a line with Shane Wright, playing his not natural position. And so he was very impressive there where his where his skills looked like clear NHL above average for a forward. And keep in mind, he just switched the position. So you add, you add in that little bit of versatility. You add in the fact that he's a physical monster out there. He's always looking to make contact. He just runs guys over. And he might be the smartest offensive defenseman in the draft, even as a re-entry. And he has a few more pathways to the NHL now that, we, now that we've seen him play forward. Maybe he can be one of those swing players who, if the game's getting a little tight, he can get pushed forward. He can go crash and bang and then deke someone, and then deke someone on his way to the net. Or he can run the power play. So it's a very interesting projection. Uh, not one that you see very much, but, I mean, the production with Windsor also speaks to his offensive success. 1.3 points per game, playing the majority of that on the blue line, is nothing to scoff at, even for a draft plus one. Well, that's really interesting. I, I know it's at 6'2 and 205 pounds is what he's listed at at Elite Prospects on his bio page. That's an interesting player, and that versatility, you're right, that can go a long way. We're seeing a lot of players uh, who are benefiting from that here. Uh, as of late, that can uh, move around on her depth chart. So, Rodwin Dionisio, that's a, an interesting name to keep in mind. Maybe more of a later round pick, though? I think so. I think this game will probably scare some teams off entirely, but, I mean, you got to take upside at some point. The chance that he plays in the NHL might be 2%, but if he plays, he's going to be great. The last guy to talk about from an offensive defenseman standpoint is uh, Gavin McCarthy. We're going to the USHL. Uh, and the Muskegon Lumberjacks. He had 27 points. Eight of those were goals uh, in 42 games. Headed to Boston University. Uh, what do you like about him? So he's mostly known for his robust physical defensive game, but he has a ton of skill and especially a desire to create. The offense might be a little bit less put together than the other guys, but there's no doubt that he has a talent. I mean, you see him toe-drag around opponents in stride like they're not even there. He's constantly trying to deke off the point. He sets up teammates for scoring chances. From the top of the circle, he has a nasty curl and drag shot, something that you would show to forward prospects and be like, you need to learn how to do it like Gavin McCarthy does it. And so the skill level is really high with him. It's just a matter of reorganizing all the skills and sequencing them a little bit better so then he can make full use of them. And I like that he's going to Boston University. They're going to have a, a pretty productive team, I think, coming up, uh, BU and BC both. Uh, with the strong uh, freshman classes. Uh, so Gavin McCarthy, one to watch for, and he's got the size already, too, listed at 6'1 and 181. Uh, so we'll watch for him. All right, and there's one other guy to talk about, and uh, the way I framed this for you was to give me a name of a player that you like, uh, but probably not as much as uh, the consensus out there. And, and uh, that's not to say that you don't like him, but you have him more in the mid-20s area of the first round, whereas a lot of people might have him in the... Top 15, late top 15, uh, somewhere in there. And uh, that player is Nate Danielson of the Brandon Wheat Kings. 
Uh, what has you a little hesitant about Danielson compared to some of your peers? So first off, Danielson will play in the NHL for sure. I mean, you take one look at him, beat opponents with crossovers, take advantage of space on passively gap defenders and how he always looks to set up his teammates. I just don't see him as, I guess, an especially dynamic player. He's not creating lanes or overwhelming opponents with skill. He's more of a right place, right time guy with enough speed to push back defenders and get to the net. To his credit, I thought he improved a lot throughout the season, especially physically. He got much better at protecting the pucks, getting inside, initiating contact to win battles. To me, that's more of a 3C projection, which has made him a late first for us. But that could still be a real solid find in the mid-first. I mean, the draft is an uncertain place. And if you can get someone who you think would be above average in their role, which Danielson certainly could be, then that's more than a justifiable pick. Uh, no concerns with skating or anything like that. He's a, he's a he's a fairly sizable player at six one, six two, and one hundred eighty ish pounds, one hundred ninety ish, somewhere in there. He's one of the fastest players in the WHL. Uh, like he can really turn the corner on guys. It's just real nice crossovers, beat them wide, drive the net. Uh, so it's just a lack of a real standout quality apart from his size and his speed. Right-handed centerman as well. Those guys seem to be worth their weight in gold at times. Absolutely. I mean, he's, again, we where we ranked him, it's perfectly justifiable to pick him 10, maybe even 15 spots higher than where we did. Okay. I mean, now that's the benefit that we have of being a public outlet, right? <laughs> that's true. Well, listen, Mitch, I really appreciate your time uh, giving the uh, the draft guide a look at Elite Prospects, and uh, any, anybody can pick that up. And, of course, it's part of your membership or your subscription uh, on an annual basis, too. Uh, this has been terrific, Mitch. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Lucky. Always appreciate it. That's Mitch Brown from Elite Prospects and EP Ringside, websites that, uh, that I use pretty much every day. In fact, uh, I go to, probably go to Elite Prospects four or five times a day as I'm looking up information, probably even more than that, to be honest with you. I uh, use it for my fantasy league. I uh, have my entire roster and everything uh, bookmarked uh, with their bio pages at Elite Prospects. comes in handy, that's for sure. Give a subscription a consideration. Become a member. All right, that is going to do it for this week's episode. It's a long episode, and I probably should get used to that for the next uh, three or four weeks uh, up until and after the NHL draft as we go heavy with the scouts Already looking ahead to next week, uh, three scouting guests confirmed. We're going to hear from uh, Tony Ferrari from the Hockey News, Scott Wheeler from The Athletic, and Stephen Ellis from Daily Faceoff. All three of those guys will join me. Probably one more scout uh, next week as well. And then the week after, Brock Otten, Josh Tesler, and Russ Cohen uh, all locked in. And uh, probably another scout to add that week as well. And then we have the, uh, the final week leading up into the NHL draft. So lots to get to, and it's going to be a big month here on the Pipeline Show. And, of course, a, a big thank you to all of you who have signed up to be a patron at patreon.com slash Show. Early access to all the interviews that you hear on a full episode. Uh, so all of these ones that you're hearing right now, if you're not a patron and you just download the show in its entirety, that's fine. Uh, but patrons get early access to all these individual segments, usually the same day, maybe the day after that they take place. And Patreon has uh, just uh, started allowing us to do uh, trials. Uh, so you can have a seven-day free trial at the $2 a month level, which will give you that early access pass. Uh, and it'll also uh, unlock the entire vault of interviews for the last three or four years you'll have access to as well. So go to patreon.com slash show. Check into that. Sign up for the seven-day free trial. Give it a shot. See what you like. If you think the show has value, you can continue on 
at either a monthly basis or uh, an annual basis, and, and that knocks the cost down even more. All of those options right there at patreon.com slash show. Outside of the NHL and the American Hockey League, no playoffs to watch now, so between now and next week, study up on your prospects for the NHL draft, and then we can talk about it next week right here on The Pipeline Show. It's brought to you by Wilhock Beef Turkey, and my name is Guy Flaming. Have a great weekend, everybody. See ya.